let's see how we can benefit and learn something from a tragedy. So since the last time we met, we've had a young man who borrowed a plane that wasn't his and crashed it into the earth. And as as happens after every real experience like that, everyone is looking for a reason why it happened. So let's see if we can discern the reason. Not the specific reason, but just the reason, the basic reason why it happened. So does everyone remember how our world originates? So there was a sutta that the Buddha expressed to some of the monastics, and he said, I will teach you the origin and the passing away of the world. Listen to that and attend closely. I will speak. Now to Scylla's comment, this is a, an expression of dependent origination, cause and effect. When this happens, that happens. When this doesn't happen, that doesn't happen. But it gives us a schema of how we all manifest our reality. So we all do the same thing. It's that we don't have the same result. And that's important to remember and to use as a tool for defining your world. And it says, and what is the origin of the world? Independence on the I, I base, and objectivity forms. I consciousness arises. When the three of those meet, that's contact. With contact, as condition, feeling comes to be. I like this, I don't like this, I neither like this or don't like this. I'm neutral about it. And this is how our world, our reality manifests or becomes through the sense basis. So now why didn't everyone want to get in a plane and crash it into an island? That's, that should be one of the definitive questions we ask ourselves. Why doesn't everybody want to do the same thing about the reality that they create? And this alerts us to the fact that we don't see, or we don't hear, or we don't think, or we don't feel, or we don't taste, or we don't smell the same quality. We see the same reality. The world is just the world. But why is our responses different to it? And this is the saving grace if we understand why that is. So, with feeling as condition, craving comes to be. So, there is something in that expression of manifestation that one individual says, there's something missing here. There's something here that I don't like. And because of that, I have a desire for it to be different. I'm dissatisfied with my reality. I want it fuller. I want it emptier. I want it more beautiful. I want it purple. But the point is, I want it differently than it manifests itself. Now, when we when we are when we have the realization that we can all look at the same thing and see something different, then that frees us up from our point of view. It re, it makes us realize that. As the old saying goes, the glass half empty, glass half filled. 
It depends upon how I choose to look at what I've manifested through my sense gates as to how I'll have or develop a relationship with that reality that I manifested through my sense gates. If I don't like it, I have a choice to change it. It is not real in the sense of absolute. I can reconstruct it. I can rearrange it. I can make it okay. I don't have to get in a plane and crash into an island. I don't have to get angry and get my gun. I can simply change my mind about how I see this thing, how I, and when I change my mind as to how I see this thing, I change the feeling tone that I have about this thing. And this is the freeing evidence. This is the reality, the true reality, the ultimate reality that says, if I don't like it, I can change it. That doesn't mean changing anything out here. It just means changing my mind about what I experience out here. The other tools that we have at our disposal, disposal, like mindfulness, allows us to take that breath before we react, before we charge into the experience on our first assessment of it that we can ask ourselves, we can slow it down, we can take that breath and count to ten. We can say, now I just had this thought that I should get in this aircraft and fly it out on the, fly it up in the air and crash it. But in that heedfulness, that space, that breath that I take, I go, no, that's a crazy idea. If Someone walked up to you and said, go get in an airplane, pilot it out to, out to the runway, and fly it up in the air and crash it. You would go, are you crazy? You wouldn't. Assume that it was the voice of wisdom and carry out the instruction or the suggestion. If we can see everything that emanates from mind as a suggestion, not as an order, not as a command, but as a suggestion, based on the way I think it is in this moment, it frees us up from the obligation to act upon the suggestion in a way that fulfills its truth, that when I can say to myself, let me take a breath and see whether this makes sense to me, we would do this in any other case of suggestions where we would have a friend standing next to us who would say, I think you should do this. We go, well, let me think about that. Let me think if that's the best way for me to respond. So we have to bring that same wisdom when we murmur to ourselves that this is the next step I should take. That before we take that step, we take a moment of reflection, a moment of mindfulness, to go, is this the best thing I can do in this situation? Let me count to 10 and take a deep breath before I finalize my decision on what to do. Because I know, I know that my take on this moment, my definition of life in this moment is not absolutely true. It is just my opinion of it. How do I know this? Because I know that we can all sit in the same place and have different opinions about what we see, what 
what the world is in this moment. Knowing this, I'm not bound by the suggestion of mine that tells me this is the way I should react to it. I'm not breaking anything. There's no such thing as tradition because everything is impermanent. What I'm doing is allowing myself to remember, to remind myself that what I perceive as reality is not absolute. That when I start to deal with ultimate truth, there is nothing real here to proceed. So therefore I have the the room, the permission to reshape and reform it in a way that I agree with it. We hear so many times the stories about people who hit the lottery, people who win the the, the million-dollar lottery with the idea that it's going to make them happy. It's going to free them. And they talk about such a horrible experience that they've had with all of this money that they've got. We hear stories about people who have cancer, and because of that experience, it's the most freeing thing in the world, the most liberating thing in the world, as opposed to the most tragic depressing thing that they had to deal with. So we know that the truth that we arrive at is not absolute and is not carved in stone and it can be changed. And with that knowledge, with that wisdom, it frees us from being shackled to a boneheaded response a knee-jerk response, that we're not violating anything. We're not asking the world to give us a break, to give us a a get-out-of-jail-free card. We're realizing the limitation and the magnificence of our mind and consciousness. Any questions? Yes, Bob. Or are you just stretching? Okay. Sure. While we're waiting for the mic to get to Bob, does everyone understand how simple this is? Okay, well, we'll wait until Bob makes his comment, and then we'll get to the hard-to-do thing. I'd like to ask you, uh, in the case of the pilot that you were talking about, it it appears that he he could have been psychologically deranged in, in some way. And if that is the case, and he's unable to think clearly to make a uh, wholesome choice. decision instead mm-hmm. of a harmful decision. Uh, what, what do you think about that? What I think about that is that we are talking about the realization of a moment's experience where we say this moment, this moment in life makes me angry or makes me upset or makes me fearful or makes me whatever it is that it's making me. And that in that moment of reality, in that moment of experience, I can recreate the feeling that I have about it, which in turn 
orchestrates all of the responses that I'd have for it. Is my mind deranged because it's deranged and it produces toxic thoughts? Or is my volition, my my actions defined as deranged because of their out-of-controlness. What I'm saying is that when we understand the process of manifestation, the process of the origin of life, we know that There has to be thinking about it before there is feeling about it. There has to be awareness and consciousness about it. But we also know that that thinking can be transitioned, can be changed, that will then produce a whole different feeling tone about the same thing. Now, your question is, which, which came first, the derangement or the deranged thinking? Well, what this, this dispensation tells us is that our, our perception is shaped by how we think about what our perception should realize. In other words, if I see you as an enemy, that's because I think that I should see you as an enemy. If I want that to change, I have to change the way I think about you. My thinking can be evaluated by another as something deranged or or defiled or sick. But if I can take the time to separate what I think from what I think about and redevelop within that moment, that mind moment, a different way to look at it. So in other words, instead of looking at it with hate or anger, I look at it with love and kindness. That eventually I influence the sequence of events that cause the world, my world, to originate. I, I'm very specific about my world because we all don't see the same thing the same way. What I might love and hold and honor and respect, you look at it and go to it. Who's right? So when we have the realization that we can look at the exact same thing and have an entirely happy feeling about it or sad feeling about the same thing we're looking at, it must not be the same, it must not be the thing that holds the truth. It's not the thing that holds the truth. What you're asking me is that because I see it a certain way, doesn't that make it absolute and doesn't that make the world, my brain, crazy. Now I'm saying no. I'm saying there's a place in our existence where we come upon a screen, uh, a reality that is untainted by any of the misalignments of expression or The opposite of that, you know, who, who's, who's to say who is truthful? When we look at something and you have a different opinion than I do about the same thing, who is truthful? Who is more truthful about what that thing is expressing? Neither one, because there are two truths, mine and yours. So we, we begin to 
work at it from a different perspective where we say, well, let's see if we can work on developing the apparatus that defines the object in a way that is always benign and benevolent as opposed to harsh and critical. So when we see people do horrible things, absolutely their mind is deranged. But you're saying, and does that mean that they have no, no redemption, they have no alternative? I'm saying, no, it doesn't mean it. It just means that hopefully I will be introduced to a practice or an example whereby I realize I can change the way I see something by changing the apparatus, adjusting the apparatus that I use to observe, that I use to define that I remove the defilements of mine so that when I am needing to make an assessment about an object in the reality, that I can make one with this picture, this smiley face on it, as opposed to this horrific, angry monster that I can also create with the same mechanism. Will we have people who will not be able to take that breath and make that? Absolutely. But that's because they have no training in it. It's not because it doesn't work. It's just because they don't know how to work it. So they are slaves to this perception that this is the way I should see it and this is the way I should respond to it. Because I don't know any other way or don't think there's any other way, I am bound to that one choice I have. Not, not realizing that I have multiple choices, not because I have a psychiatric degree, but simply because I see that there are people who respond to the same thing differently. There are people who are happy about it. There are people who are despondent about it. The same thing. What makes that the way it is? It's not the object, because the object is empty. It has to be empty, or you and I would not be able to see it differently. It's a blank canvas that we all paint on. You use purple, I use green. I say, my, I say that's true, you say that's true. Okay? So why is it that there are some of us who are fortunate enough to be informed about a choice that we have before we have to make that choice? Some people say that's karma. I don't know. I just say I'm grateful that I found out about it. And mostly we find out about it is because we start, we start seeking for the answer. We get tired of being manipulated. We get tired of getting caught up in the same gerbil wheel, making the same decisions and talking about at the end of that decision-making process how unhappy we are because we handle it this way. Every time this happens, I get angry. But every time this happens and I get angry, I get angry about being angry. Why can't I do something different? How, why can't I respond to it a different way? That's the question. That's what starts to encourage us to seek. Let's find out how this really works. Let's find out what I can do about this that will allow me to have a relationship with life differently. I am tired of reacting to life. I am tired of being a puppet to life the forces, the dynamics of life. Why can't I do something different? Why can't I see it a different way? And then I pursue the philosophies or the truths or the exercises, the expressions that might possibly free me from this slavery that I'm, I'm involved in, this 
imprisonment of mind that I'm involved in. So there's all of those dynamics in your question and in my answer. I'd just like to ask one other quick question on the same subject. As quick as the last one? <laughs> the question wasn't too long, but the answer was pretty long. <laughs> <laughs> what if uh, this pilot was entrapped and enslaved in his mind? What if he was caught in just the most dastardly future thought or uh, something that happened in, in the past. Maybe he was yeah. totally worried, totally in fear, whatever. It, I was wondering what you thought about his choice. He might have said, my choice would be to end my life. I'm in total misery. I just want to crash this plane and I will be free. Mm -hmm. What's your thinking there? In our lifetime, we have observed many people who express actions, whether verbal or physical, that we have wished they would have done differently. And We lamented that we wished that they would have had another choice of doing what they did that would have addressed the situation. But apparently they didn't because this is what they did. This is the conclusion that they came to. Again, I don't know why you and I are so gifted that we've received an alternative way to handle situations. But what we are here to do and what we're here to share is for those who think they have no choice, that they have to respond in a given way, that we can say, you do have a choice. You can decide to do something differently than he did or she did. That ultimately through your practice, you are inspired to make the choice that is harmless to everyone concerned. Even seeing that Although some people might feel that suicide is okay because it only involves me, we see so many expressions of how many people are touched when I have the, when I make the choice that says it's only me and it doesn't bother anybody or it shouldn't bother anyone else because it is me and it's my life we see how many other people are touched and affected by the choices that we make as individuals where we only see or we only think that it impacts only on me. And so I have a right to do this. Again, I don't know why one person is introduced to multiple choices and one person only has one choice. I'm just happy that we have more than one choice. And my discussion today is just to remind you that you have more than one choice. Can I make you pause and make the better choice for yourself? No, I can't. I can only start you on the journey by saying, here's someone 
and I agree with you, that ultimately felt they had no other way out of this but what they did. However, I feel that you have more than one choice. And here it is. And here's an opportunity to reflect. There was a time in my life when I felt that the only choice I had was to be angry at someone. And I did that for years. I got angry at other people for what I thought they should have done or what they didn't do. But I kept experiencing not a relief, but a feeling of toxicity and unease because of my choice. And so I said, let me see if there's something else I can do about this, as opposed to what I normally do. And I was shown a different way to do it, and it worked for me. Now, all I'm saying is that it might work for you, too. And here's why it works. But the, the choice, the freedom is up to every individual. In other words, we also learn that in our sharing and in our purpose for sharing, we realize that others have the choice not to accept what we share. You know? But it is our responsibility to share. But it is not the other responsibility to accept. They can reject it. They can say, no, that's not for me. I'm going to do it my way. So. It's good. Bobby? I understand it's simple to understand, hard to live for me. I get it for, it's like, I know two and two is four. Most days two and two is four. One day I just sort of forget two and two is four. Hmm. It's like I get busy. I, especially if I have a goal to achieve, I have house guests and (laughs) things need to be done. I get wound up. There's like an internal buzz almost of energy that becomes this tangle. And the next thing you know, I'm mad at everybody because they're not doing things the way I think they should do them. And Mm. my ego gets involved Mm. and I don't remember to pause. Mm. Even I just don't. And I'm not even aware if I, if I was in awareness I would be aware that, gee, this feels really bad. Why am I doing this to myself? But I just don't always get there. And I just did that in the last five hours and came in here and was hit with that realization that, gee, I wish I could have done that when they were here. Okay. So our practice, a part of our practice is to remember to hang our sticky notes before we actually have the experience. The practice is about addressing the things that need reform, that need a change of mind, that that just as you express it, I get all anxious when this happens. Well, the problem is is that we wait until the next real experience before we work on it again. But by that time, it's too late. That this whole thing about awareness and mindfulness is to say, what is it that I do in my day that exhausts the peace 
that I want to experience, that I have, that I had in the morning? What, what occurred that caused me to lose that peace? And in your downtime, before the next assault, you practice what, you, what you're going to do, how you're going to respond, how you're going to handle it, the choices you're going to make. We then enlist as an ally the process that makes us successful at making, having a change of mind. So what we've talked about and what we've learned is that I think about what I think about. If I want to influence the way I think about a thing, then I have to think about the thing the way I want to think about the thing. Do you? Okay? So that means that I start to see my woeful responses and I change in my mind the way that I handle them. So it's not thinking about how I handle them badly or inappropriately, but it is about thinking about them the way I would have wanted to handle them. And I, and I reflect on that image of me doing something that encourages my inner peace to magnify. When the next opportunity presents itself, I've already thought about this enough times that it becomes my default as opposed to something that I, my regret thing, that I, I should have done this, but I didn't. I do it because I've already thought about doing it, and what I think about doing is what I do. That's the way it works. So... When I think about what I didn't do right, I'm thinking about what I didn't do right. And that is what is reinforced. Yeah? And so then I ask myself, well, why did I do it again? Because I thought about it again and again and again. We can see it easier when we have a parent-child relationship where the parent is always saying, you're so stupid. You're always making mistakes. You're always breaking things up. You're always doing bad things. And we, we see the branding that happens because of that reinforced concept implanted in the mind of the child. Well, we do the same things. We implant that concept in our mind. We tell ourselves that we are always acting this way. And so that when the opportunity comes up, we always act the way that we've implanted in the mind. Yeah? So work on seeing it a different way, a better a, a different way, not a better way. The way that you would like, the way that you think would end in peace. You know, if I did this, it would have a peaceful ending. If I did this, it would have a peaceful ending. And just keep thinking and reminding yourself of that until the next opportunity. And then you will, by default, engage in that. And then you will, by experience, receive that peace. Or not. But the point is, at the end of the day, you say, how did I do today? And you tune in on the things you did well. And you finesse and tinkle, tinker with the things that you, you think you didn't do well, but seeing them in a way that would mm, image doing well. And that's the way we develop the good habit. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Yes. I just wanted to comment on Bob's Okay. Uh, question. So in my own life, I've had many instances where I've been 
have deranged mental states. And what I've realized is what you discussed today, so believing that truth rather than knowing the true, the true reality. Mm-hmm. So that mind can be very controlling, very convincing, very persuasive. And when you believe what it's telling you, you know, you said suggestions rather than orders, mm-hmm. it can be very convincing. Um, and I believe that for so long, and there were many instances where I considered suicide. You know, in my family, there's bipolar, there's depression, there's, you know, successful suicides, unfortunately, and I just thought that's who I am. Mm-hmm. But it's not who we are. Even if the genetics are there, like you said, the tools have really helped. And I wanted to share one tool that's really helped. I'm reading The Wise Heart by Jack Kornfield. And we love acronyms. So he talks about this acronym RAIN. Identifying the primary feeling of the situation, whether it's unpleasant, pleasant, or neutral. Mm-hmm. And then identifying the secondary feelings, whether they're you know, healthy or not healthy, like anger or joy. Mm-hmm. And he said to use RAIN, so recognize, accept, investigate, and non-identification. And I'm telling you, it's been my new practice throughout the entire day of very minuscule unpleasant, neutral, or pleasant mm-hmm. experiences, or very explosive. Mm-hmm. I find that very helpful, so I just wanted to share that. Thank you. Amy, that's really funny you mentioned that, because I was listening to um, Against the Stream, and they just talked about the same thing, and they went with um, a different a different couple of words, which is R was recognize that right now this is how it is, accept it, be introspective and investigate it, and then um, have a not-self, it's not about me attitude. There was some more fruitful language brought up by Against the Stream, but it's interesting you brought that up because I found that quite insightful as well, like just three days ago. Okay. So in all of those different expressions, it has the fact that as opposed to responding blindly to a situation, you wait, take that deep breath, understand that it is not absolute, it's not law, I have a choice about it. And I am thinking about not having a reactionary expression to the experience, but to say, what do I want to do? How do I want to be? And part of it is is realizing that none of this makes anyone else do anything other than what they're already doing. They might change their attitude, they might not. But the whole point is, is that I have the ability to change my attitude, the way I have a relationship with this moment. Because I don't like the way I've felt in the past in my relationships with the moment. And it liberates you, it frees you. As, you, as you've expressed. And that's all we're talking about. It doesn't, what we're, what we're sharing here with each other doesn't change the world. You're still going to have crazy people and maniacs and haters and, you know, you're going to have all of those personalities out there. But what it does is change you. And that's all, that's all we can hope for. That's all we can hope for. So, thank you all. Let's meditate for a while. Let's go inside and
Okay, so if everyone here only takes one thing away with them, it's choice. Remind yourself about choice. Because what that will do is then when you have a real actual experience and you're not feeling the way you want to feel, you will be reminded of the fact that you have a choice. If you don't like the way you feel, you can do something about it. And it has nothing to do with the other person. It has to do with your allowing your own psyche, ego, to be infected by the energies of reality. And when you're reminded of that, you say, I don't want to feel this way. And when you don't want to feel that way, you feel differently. I promise you. That's what the placebo is all about. It's not about the chemical, it's about the promise. May all beings be liberated from suffering. May we be well, may we be happy, may we be peaceful. Thank you all so very much for your time, your wisdom, your support, and smile at a stranger. <laughs>